This is Power and Consequence. Welcome back. This is Power and Consequence. We are your hosts. I'm Matt. And I'm Anna. And this is our podcast where we uh, discuss propaganda in American politics on a case-by-case basis. Um, I'd say this past weekend was kind of a multi-day showcase of political propaganda. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, uh, was relatively uneventful so far as far as like hard right messaging goes. I, I don't know, Anna, did you tune into any of it? None of it. Yeah. I stayed blissfully unaware of all of it. It was, uh, it was, it was kind of muted, which, you know, kind of shows how kind of jaded I guess we all are. You know, they talk, various speakers, uh, they talked about oligarchs, big tech, cancel culture. You know, all the things that they like to whine about. Ted Cruz screamed freedom from Braveheart. That was, that turned into a meme like immediately. Of course, to be fair, it was probably a beautiful meme and rightly deserved. Yeah, it was. And people were saying that, you know, him coming home from Cancun to Texas, Texas was just layover on his way to Orlando. So (laughs) (laughs) They held they held CPAC in Orlando. It's always in DC, but because of like lockdown stuff, as in COVID safeguards, yeah, they went to Florida. Well, huh. in that way, they're they're oligarch. You know, they're they're patriarch. Yes, doesn't have to travel very far. Correct. Speaking of him, the the other guy, the former president, um, I'll save everybody the suspense. He spoke for ninety minutes. I'm not going to talk about him at all. Because everybody else is dissecting that gas bag's words, and he didn't say anything very exciting. Well, and by the time you guys probably listen to this, he will be our president again, right? Uh, uh, March 4th. Yeah. So, so the latest Q conspiracy is March 4th. I read once where that date came from in their meta conspiracy, and I've well, already forgotten. Well, they couldn't forgotten. use May the 4th. Zing! Oh, could you imagine? There would be blood on the internet, straight up. Like the message boards would go nuts between like Star Wars geeks and Q people. I we mean, can't do Cinco de Mayo. Oh, let's not let's not even touch that. <laughs> so, anyways, so one person that was uh, he wasn't really featured actually. He was a very small fish this year at CPAC. Uh, was Charlie Kirk? So as promised, this is part two of our focus on Charlie Kirk. I call it Charlie Kirk to the Kirkening, or did you call it that? Did you call it that? I did not call it that. Okay, can we still call it that? You already have, okay. so I feel like I'm already... I was outvoted without even being <laughs> consulted for the vote. This is an example... Well, I guess I am big tech to your Charlie Kirk. It's true. I, I, I'm just the little guy. You are. Oh, wait till we get to that. So Shit, did he say those exact words? No, 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 not exactly But that. just like kind of those words? Mm, sort of. We're Again, we're going to get to it. Uh, so... I am the Nostradamus of the right. You are. You're, but hopefully we don't burn you at the stake. So... Well, I am descendant of witches. <laughs> well, we are going to get into some Christian uh, themes as it relates to American government. But let's get right into it. <laughs> you mean it. our government? Yeah, pretty much. So let's get right into it. Uh, Charlie was one of the early speakers at the three-day CPAC event. Uh, his remarks were thankfully brief, but a lot can be said about those nine minutes and change. Right. So Uh, Some of the highlights we're going to go over. Charlie uh, lionizes uh, the late Rush Limbaugh. He conflates Christianity with American government in a very scary way. Hey, I just said that. Totally, right? You're great. You're great at this. We're going to trade jobs. And I didn't even pay attention to any of that nonsense coming out of Orlando. Yep, yep, yep. And I already knew what they said. God. Right? Maybe you should just... I I think think we're going to adjust your workload. I just... I need to open up my own like palm reading business or fortune telling or whatever. I'd make bank. Yeah, but only if you're based in Orlando and you could only accept Bitcoin through like the dark web. And Is com- Bitcoin trending right now? Uh, that's one way of putting it. There pe- there's a shitload of money in Bitcoin. Well, so. I, I know that, but it fluctuates in, in the market. So I was wondering if it's up right now. I, I, I think relative... By gen- the end of the sentence, it's probably different. So. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know who stays the same? Charlie Kirk, unless he's talking about free market enterprise, because he makes an interesting distinction in this little speech he makes. Between free market and what? Oh, you'll see. Oh, God. So Charlie conflates Christianity with, with American government uh, and reinforces the idea that, quote, big tech is the enemy of conservative thought generally. Uh, and <laughs> That's actually voting. Mm -hmm. And then he also talks about voter fraud uh, without actually using the word fraud. I mean, this might have something to do with all the fucking lawsuits being tied around, but eh. voter whoopsie daisies. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That'll be that'll be the uh, the title for this episode, maybe. So, well, didn't you want to name it the turning point of Charlie Kirk, and you were beating yourself up for not naming it the the first episode that I, I was? But I feel like using a bad title like the Kirkening is me sort of self flagellating myself. Of course, I'm self flagellating myself. Uh, <laughs> We're never going to get to the episode. Let's get to it, shall we? We're having too much fun. We are. We just who, who wants to hear about Charlie Kirk? No yeah, let's, one. Let's just talk about myself flagellating myself. So <laughs> English is fun. That's it all is. we're going to say. So this episode is going to be a little different because uh, Charlie is making more of an opinion philosophical argument than spouting outright lies. He does do that, or which is to say he misleads. Uh, but that's not the most important part, the main thrust of what he's saying here. And... Yeah. Yeah, and Charlie misleads and engages in demagoguery all the time. That's nothing new, right? But Bread his, and butter right there, man. Yes, but his position on power uh, and who is wielding it and how, that's a little different now compared to years past. So we're going to get right into it. As I said, uh, Charlie starts out his, his little speech by paying homage to one of the great conservative icons in his eyes, uh, the, late Rush, you, the late Rush Limbaugh. It is... Uh... It's an honor to be with you guys today. You might be saying, what on earth is Charlie wearing? What, what kind of tie is this? This is a 1990 Rush Limbaugh tie. And I thought, what better place to honor one of the greatest Americans, quite honestly, ever to live than at CPAC. What? Let's just remember for a moment the legacy of Rush Limbaugh. That tie is really ugly, by the way. No, okay. I have so many questions. Is this a tie Limbaugh owned? Or uh, is did he have his own like clothing line like the Trumps? So my answer is I don't know either way. At the very least, I think it is a style um, sort of in keeping with Rush Limbaugh of decades ago. It is a disgusting, loud, cross-color, ugly tie like objectively bad. I don't care who endorses it. Well, if you're saying it's bad. It is, and I have no sense of style. This is 100% true. It's very despite bad. Despite my best intentions. <laughs> Damn right. You will never succeed on that front. I will succeed. One day. Hey, I use the face cream. What do you want? So You don't even use... <laughs> you know what? Not getting into this right now. And I'm not even going to edit this. But... <laughs> Yeah, so, so... What did the little shit have to say? Yeah, so he... Uh, I'm not even going to really pay much attention to Rush Limbaugh because regarding all of his bigotry and rhetoric, for the most part, fuck that guy. I would have said it when he was alive. I say it now that he's dead. Yeah, I, I heard a joke on the internet that uh, who knew Limbaugh's last horcrux was the Texas uh, power grid. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Texas power. That was a pretty yeah. good one, actually. It made me laugh, I yeah. will say that. Well, what doesn't make me laugh was when I briefly went through some of the highlights of Rush Limbaugh's racism and bigotry, right? And he was on the air for decades. Um, so he was long. nationally syndicated, I believe, in the late 80s, okay? Uh, and he's had his ups and downs, shall we say. Uh, not, you know, putting it mildly. Well, you know, drug abuse notwithstanding, when he, like, vilified was that him i don't know also? drug drug abuse for sure oh, okay. i know that much anyway so honestly i can't remember so, there's so many of these guys yeah so uh i'll leave i'll leave my impression of rush limbaugh with this there's one clip that was taken from his show july 22nd 2013 this is the tail end of uh rush talking about uh how white guilt is basically unnecessary and he you know <laughs> Yeah, and it, well, he's giving examples of various cultures throughout history that engaged in slavery, right? Oh, no. And his thing is like, you know, oh, it was on a scale far worse than the United States, at least in his explanation, okay? And uh, Rush finishes by bragging that Caucasians, that's the term he uses, Caucasians um, did more to end slavery than others because they fought a war to end slavery and hundreds of thousands of people died. And why no was... Other 
Why was that, Limbaugh? Yeah. Third Why was race that? Has ever fought a war for the purpose of ending slavery, which we did. Nearly 600,000 people killed in the Civil War. It's preposterous that Caucasians are blamed for slavery when they've done more to end it than any other race and within the bounds of the Constitution to boot. And yet white guilt is, is still one of the dominating factors in American politics. It's exploited, it's played upon, it is promoted, used, and it's unnecessary. Yeah, I don't know the larger context of what he was getting at, and I don't care. I mean, that you can't you can't give me a context because that I mean, that clip is like 50 seconds. I think I gave him a fair shake for what it is he was trying to say there. Um, yeah. Rush pretending that the Civil War resulted in in he's basically saying that the Civil War pretty much was the end of slavery, therefore the end of racism. And he omits the black codes, the vagrancy laws, the Jim uh, Crow system, voter suppression, the KKK, lynching, murders and anything else you can think of. Birtherism. I, you know, take your pick. Right? Really, like the one half black guy who happened to who beat the odds and became our president. Somehow he wasn't born in the U.S. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I I can't tell you definitively if Rush was on board with that. It wouldn't surprise me if he was. Well, our former president was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other guy. Did we all forget that? Yeah. So that's let's you know Rush Limbaugh is thankfully gone forever, and let's just leave him there. So. Getting back to Charlie, who's very much alive and only in his, and only just beginning, I think, in his demagoguery career. Uh, Charlie gets to work talking about uh, the existential threat to freedom in the form of big tech, uh, which is a catch-all term for pretty much any communications platform that allegedly curbs conservative thought unfairly, right? Uh, and he kicks it off with sort of a ridiculous uh, rhetorical question. We talk a lot about free speech. We talk about the importance of the First Amendment. However, sometimes we as conservatives stop short of protecting freedom of speech where it matters most. So I'm going to ask you a question. Which is more powerful, Google or our federal government? Which is more powerful, Anna? Google or the federal government? The, the, answer is, is, uh, uh, the answer to me is obvious. It's the federal government. I actually have to think about that, if I'm being totally honest, because... Google operates internationally. And I mean, I know our federal government does too. Um, we're still in a war somehow. Um, I don't know, because I'm, I'm trying to think of it as like how a conservative would think about that. Because I feel like they're kind of, he blocked himself into like a catch-22 a little bit because Google is a private company and the federal government should be small. Correct. Correct. I like where your head's at. Uh, I agree. That would be on brand for Charlie. And that would be that sentiment isn't keeping with things that he's spouted for years now. Because that, that he he's all, leaning all the way a back to his libertarian, right? All the way back to his libertarian roots. Yeah. Right. Before that, he was, that's what I was. Yeah. Yeah. Before okay. he was just a Trump ass kisser. Right. Exactly. But now that tech is the conservative talking point. Mm hmm. I assume he's going to err on the side of the feds, ironically. Well, so you're saying that he thinks that the feds have more power than Google? I'm going... maybe. Okay, well, let's find out. Now, we as conservatives are taught to answer that question automatically by saying the federal government. Now, I'm not doubting that the federal government has power. The federal government can imprison people. They can audit you. They have the power of the law. However... If that were to happen, you at least get some due process rights. You at least get, you're supposed to get oh God, representation by an attorney. You're able to sue your government if they do something illegal to you. What happens if Google comes after you? What happens if Google decides to digitally assassinate a certain person? Like what we saw happen last month. They can wipe away the existence of an idea of a human being, of a political movement, instantaneously. Citation needed. He so he maybe he should look into Google. Right. So Charlie doesn't actually say it, but I think it's clear that he's referring to Trump being jettisoned from Twitter. Yes, and also that wasn't Google. 
Well, I, I mean, there, there were like, so, you know, there's Twitter itself and then there's, um, I think he was, he was, he got the ax from, I think Instagram or YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. And they are connected to Google. Uh, well, at least they were, well, he was YouTube, suspended. Yeah. YouTube is connected to Google. Yeah. Instagram is still owned by Facebook. Facebook. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. So he, he, w- I know YouTube suspended him at one point. I don't know if it was an indefinite suspension, but he did face some type of consequence, right? For some type of violation of their terms of service, right? That much is clear. Um, but I, I like how Charlie is really blowing that out of proportion to make it seem like it's it's an Digital existential threat. assassination. Great words. Shut up, Charlie. Great words. Also, God. can we please define, uh, quote, wipe away the existence, right, of a movement, a person, an idea, and all that stuff? That's why I said citation needed, because I need to know exactly what movement has been silenced here. Let us say for the sake of argument that he's talking about the MAGA movement and Trump. Bullshit. Well, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's demonstrably not true. Trump is the headliner at the event that he is speaking at right now. That event was live streamed from like, you know, take your pick. It was on Rumble, which whatever I want to say about Rumble is free use internet, Uh, YouTube, The Independent, CPAC's own website when it wasn't breaking down, Right Side Broadcasting uh, Network, RSBN, I think that's what they're called. Uh, Yeah, so to say that he's being locked out, it suggests that he's being locked out of the public arena, which is demonstrably not true. So that is misleading. I'd call that a flat out lie, pretty much. That's a lie. Yeah, but it, it, it feeds into that like victimhood mentality of, oh, the big meanie corporations are picking on us. It does. But what I also think is telling is that in, I'll save you the suspense, in nine minutes of talking, which is, you know, brief for Trump, or excuse me, brief for Charlie, thank God, he never actually says Trump's name one time. Not one time. And that, I, I think this is a, that's a tell of something that's coming up. And I, I, I just keep that in mind as we go on. He never says his name once. Now I'm suspicious. Okay. It's, it's not a big secret, but I think I, I think I know what he's pivoting towards. So uh, Charlie keeps going and he talks about conservatives and uh, their hesitance collectively to challenge big tech. And he kind of lays out the role for conservatives in America as he sees it anyway. This is, this is his version of it. But we as conservatives should not become corporatists. We as conservatives should ask ourselves, what does it mean? to be a conservative. First and foremost, we are here to conserve God-given liberties and freedoms. We are here to protect the family, our country, are the American way of life. So in that context, uh, these terms that Charlie uses, they, those are those are do- recognizable dog whistles. Yeah, also, isn't capitalism the American way of life? And these companies are, are gangbusters at it. Keep, keep, keep that in mind. It's, trust me, this is coming. He will explicitly address this. All right. But for now, he's he's laying his foundation. He's setting the table for what a conservative is supposed to be. Oh, and I just want to point this out. I'm not defending tech companies. No, no. Believe me, I'm not. But this is just ridiculous. Right. Uh, I mean, if, if you look back in, in all the rhetoric from Charlie Kirk and everyone that he represents and the philosophy that he espouses himself to, this seems like like it doesn't seem like it's making sense, like it's in need of a distinction or a rationalization, which Charlie's about to give. OK, but in that clip itself, you'll notice that he invokes God. And when he invokes God in this context, I believe what he's referring to is something called uh, dominion theology. Are you familiar with dominion theology? Um, probably. So but, uh, it, once you yeah. give me the definition, sure. I'll probably have heard of it. You, you've, you've heard people talk about this. So in the simplest terms, dominion theology is pretty much. Um, it can take two forms that people know of, for the most part. Uh, there's the hard and soft version. The hard version is um, people who believe, Christians, who believe that the secular government of the United States should be set aside and replaced with uh, government and laws based on the Old Testament. Okay, so a theocracy. Well, I have a problem with that. And most people do. Um, then there's the soft version, which is a more of a main mainstream version of it, where it's not that the secular government should be set aside, but Christians were meant to be in control of the government by right. Uh, and at some point after the founding of the United States lost that control, and it should be then, it, it needs to be regained. Christians need to be in control of every aspect of a secular government, making it a de facto the, uh, theocracy. 
aren't they already overwhelmingly representative in our government? Well, I guess it would be more of like a, you could use Christianity as a reason behind policies, but like you, so instead of like uh, right to life in terms of like, you know, murder and, and that type of thing, like, like, like health laws and stuff, they could just simply say, well, God doesn't want you to murder people. So no more abortions. Like they could actually write a law that way. I'm not even going to touch that one. Oh, but he does later. So, <laughs> so, and family in Charlie's mind, that obviously is referring heterosexuals. Yeah. Nuclear heteronormative family unit. Um, you can also hear this as, uh, does not recognize, uh, the rights of any quote family unit that doesn't fit in his box. So that's the table he set. So how does he feel about interracial couples? I know, right? Exactly. So that... Well, that's not God's will right there. Nope. As it was 60s, 60s or 70s was Loving v. Virginia, right? Where they oh, struck that was, down um, anti-miscegenation laws. Oh, that was late 60s, I believe. Yeah. So they, I mean... That was like 68 or 69? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I think you are right. Late 60s. But anyway, within our parents' lifetime... Correct. If you are a millennial, it was illegal... For your in, in certain states, yes, yeah, in in by ugh, wide swaths of the United States, it was illegal for people of different races to marry. Correct. That was not that long ago. No, it was not. It was a uh, weirdly short time ago, mm-hmm. an uncomfortably short time ago, kind of like gay marriage. Yeah, twenty thirteen. I should. I do not know the date I think off the top of my head. I want to say 15. Yeah. So uh, I think it was 15. Right. So moving on, uh, Charlie goes on and he perverts the ideas of corporatism, which I'll explain in a second. I had to look this up. Uh, Free enterprise and labor relations. And when a group of people in a concentrated area controlling trillion dollar companies decide to impose a viewpoint that is completely contrary to the American way of life, and then we say, well, we can't do anything because they're a private company. Excuse me, as soon as you have 200 million users and 93% of all search results, you're not the local flower shop or the local coffee shop, and you shouldn't be treated as such. And we as conservatives must be very clear. If you do not support breaking up big tech or challenging big tech, you are not a conservative, you are a corporatist. So that's wrong for a few reasons. Yeah. Um, so, so you I mean, d- I am all for breaking up these companies. They have way too much power. Like, I'm, I'm for that. But that's been, I feel like that's kind of been a pet project on the left for a while, right? And what he's effectively talking about is antitrust. You know, he's talking about yes. monopolies. In, 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 in so many words, yes. Correct. And that's how I get it. Now, I think that's really funny considering he talks about uh, being a corporatist. Because I don't know if he knows what that word is, if he's referring to what I think he's referring to. Now, again, I didn't know what that was, so I bothered to actually take 20 minutes out of my day and look it up. Did you use Google? I did use Google. Shame on you. I did. How I dare did. you? Yeah, th- it's right. They gave me the wrong answer. So I'll get to that in a second. But real quick, uh, you caught his, his he's he's making a distinction in in free market, you know, economics, you know, it's like, oh, once you he sets these these benchmarks that arbitrary. Exactly. It's just like, oh, you're not the mom and pop shop. You are this. And because you're this, the the rules that I've been talking about my entire adult life do not apply to you. I, I you know, and I mean, how does he feel about Raytheon? Right, exactly. Or uh, how about the fact that Charlie's book was published by Harper Collins? Harper Collins is owned by News Corp. News Corp is the Murdoch family, and the Murdoch family and News Corp have been the subject of a petition in the last few months in Australia, where they effectively control two thirds of media. Yes, you're familiar with this. Mm-hmm. So to suggest, so Charlie suggesting that he's against monopolies in any way, and yet he is produced. And, you know, in effect, beholden to one of the largest information or disinformation monopolies in the world, in the English speaking world, is really saying something. Yeah. So, so he's full of shit. And he's either too stupid to realize the hypocrisy in that statement, or he's hoping that nobody else gives a shit. And frankly, nobody in that audience probably does. No one in the audience cares. No. I guarantee you. No. So he's moving the goalposts. He's creating benchmarks, as you said, uh, arbitrary rules just because he can, because that's how he rationalizes this obvious hypocrisy, right? Because let's face it, as you said, from a 
capitalist point of view, Google is really, really good at being a capitalist. They're fucking on it, I man. Mean, the goal is to thrive and make money. I'm no economist, but I'm pretty sure that's basically it, right? When it's all said and done. So, yeah, Charlie is is obfuscating for reasons that are oh so obvious. But uh, getting back to corporatism real quick. So I had to look this up and it, it's 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 an old idea. There's a lot of versions of it. Okay. But the form that I think would be most offensive to a guy, free market guy, an ostensibly free market guy like Charlie would be the New Deal. See, the New Deal was considered a form of corporatism. Okay. It, it, the word throws people because you think corporation, right? Yeah. That's not really what it's getting at. Basically, what it's getting at is the idea that like certain interests and groups will be divided up into groups or quote, corporations. Uh, those groups will then sort of negotiate with each other like capital and labor and then come to a um, sort of a collective agreement or bargain based on a projected public interest, right? So corporatism was in effect the new deal, the idea of uh, collective bargaining and stuff like that, right? Hmm. A big part of the origins of this was actually struck down as unconstitutional in the beginning. And then the National Labor, Labor Relations Act, 1935, that was a watered down version. See, that included the right of collective bargaining, right? So labor unions. But mm. it got rid of the part that was like most offensive to capital, which was the idea that the government is going to backstop capital. See, it was known as the third, one of the isms. In effect, it was a way that Capitalism could thrive without fucking over working people so horribly that they would riot in the streets. And as we know, that was coming off of the labor wars, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Coal miners, steel mi steel workers were, like, shooting it out and killing over their rights. We take for granted the, the benefits that we have these days. The weekend, eight-hour workdays, overtime... Our fellow country men and women have literally lost their lives, shed their blood for us to have those rights. And to an extent still do. They, I mean, you know, labor unions are, can, <laughs> depending on where you are, it may not be like gun thugs in, in, you know, in the, in the mining towns. It's, it's not Pinkertons anymore. Right, right. Even though Pinkertons are still a thing, right? Yeah. Well, they are, but not in the way that we well, think Well, I know of. that, yeah. but like the Pinkerton name is yeah. still a thing. Pinkertons in Chicago, Baldwin Feltz in the South. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, the point is corporatism in the vein of the New Deal, which I think is probably what he's getting at because he says it's negative, was hardly in keeping with, you know, being against uh, um, breaking up monopolies. If anything, it would be for breaking up monopolies because that, you know, it, it was reassigning how uh, corporate, you know, capital and labor was structured. So that's completely, as far as I can understand, I'm no economist, that's completely backwards if that's what he's getting at. Well, also, wasn't the New Deal, it was from the government, right? Absolutely it was. Yes, yes. But I mean, I suppose the government worked with corporations. Exactly. That's exactly it. Okay. That was the Got point. It. So, and Charlie's trying to say that if you're against breaking up these monopolies, these de facto monopolies, that you are a corporatist, even though a corporatist would be in favor of restructuring in the first place. So either he doesn't know what he's saying or he just saw a word, you know, and he's guessing because corporation will go with it. But well, it, it fits into what he's saying, because, again, it's exactly like. I think I kind of fell under that trap when you said corporatist as well. Sure. Um, but again, all of these economic terms have like six definitions each, and it depends on who you're talking to and what definition they're using. I will admit that he doesn't technically say what form of corporatism he's referring to, but I just think it's reasonable to think that he's probably referring to the New Deal in some sense. Honestly, I think he's mostly taking it as then like you are like blind allegiance to corporations well then he's misusing the word and he doesn't understand what he's saying i'm i'm inclined to believe that one because you know oh, you think like, it's an honest mistake yeah okay i i, I personally do yeah but, maybe maybe it's he's he's made them before a lot on because like you're not a conservatist you are a corporationalist or whatever or whatever the hell he wants to corporatist say. there we go so yeah i just wanted to point that out that he either doesn't know what he's talking about or he's lying in a very stupid way that can be debunked in 20 minutes so uh charlie he moves on and he continues down his weird selective free market path uh and then he presumes to tell the audience uh what the founding fathers thought or didn't think 
uh, about the current situation with tech companies. The founding fathers loved liberty. They believed liberty was given to us by God, not by government. But the founding fathers never imagined that a small collection of companies could potentially be more powerful than our own government. Google is more powerful than our government, and there is no check and balance against them. People say, start a competitor. Well, then they'll wipe you out like they did to Parler. That's more, yeah, yeah. So that, so off top, right? Parlor destroyed itself. Whatever do you mean? Is there something about Parlor that he's leaving out, Anna? Oh, maybe the fact that it was so poorly designed, they just doxed all of their users. All of them, including the ge- geotagged metadata, which kind of create, which somebody else made into a nice and little map. Guess who has all that data now? The FBI, well, your and e- feds. And everyone else for that matter. I mean, fair enough, yeah. but you know the FBI has that. And rightfully so. But yeah, he's Charlie's that, and he starts out with more Dominion theology bullshit. You know, the founding fathers wanted this or that. I have no interest in looking up, going down the rabbit hole of proving or disproving him. If I may. Go. The founding fathers also thought that only 6% of the population should vote. By degree, right? Because mm-hmm. what was it? It was, you could, you had to be white landed male right and then that would that would vary a little bit throughout the colonies but that's basically the yeah no absolutely uh which works for him because he just recently bought a house so good for you charlie um yeah with with his chair with his non-profit money three hundred thousand dollars a year that doesn't include money from his book sales yeah when we talk about voting rights of the founding fathers era it was to extend the vote to more white men yep pretty much i mean it 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 is what it is. So if I may, neither of us would be able to vote. I wouldn't be recognized as a person in the state of Virginia in the 50s. It's true. Yeah, I mean, well, the fact that I am a biracial person. And as you point out, um, Charlie is whitewashing uh, history that is kind of barely six weeks old. The parlor's involvement with uh, the insurrection of January 6th. Uh, according to multiple news outlets and uh, statements from Google, Parler was not dropped because of any type of like political bias. It was dropped for its repeated failures to adhere to moderation rules, a decision that was, by the way, only enforced after the January 6th insurrection. Of course. Well, it's, it's they got like, bad PR. It's That's like literally the only reason. It's like Simon and Schuster. Right. It's just like, you know, people were were trading in hate speech on this platform parlor this whole time. And it wasn't until blood was spilled that Google in a save their own ass move decided, ooh, what's cost effective? Okay, just jettison them. We've seen that with um, them and their Nazi machine of uh, YouTube. Yeah, the Google algorithm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, it was unintent. It was not intentional to create an army of Nazis on Google's part. It was the algorithm doing what it was supposed to do, and unfortunately, that created Nazis. I, I think our I think our audience might need a, just the briefest of explanations of what you mean by that. The algorithm is designed in such a way to keep you on the platform for as long as possible, which makes sense because the longer your eyes are on a screen, the more ad dollars they can make. All about that money. Yeah. So um, they would, you know, it would have autoplay and recommended videos. And just by a quirk of the algorithm, they found out that right-leaning content and conspiracy content kept you on the site longer. So if you looked up something kind of like Joe Rogan or something who is... He likes to think of himself as neutral. I right, right. I have complicated feelings about him. That's understandable. But um, you know, again, if you even if you were just like totally neutral, you looked up like a Joe Rogan thing and or podcast episode or whatever, and you were watching that, and he was interviewing someone from the right wing. All of a sudden, your recommendations bar and your autoplay would slowly start to fill up with right-wing content. Okay, so like, uh, if I got, so, okay, right. And I, I, I kind of briefly heard about this. So it's like Joe Rogan would lead to a recommend for Tim Pool, which would lead to a recommend for like something until we get all the way to like Nick Fuentes and the Groyper Yeah, and Army. the next thing you know, you're watching a neo-Nazi vegan rap. <laughs> I'm not, I am not making that up. It is a video that exists. There is a neo-Nazi on youtube who raps about being a vegan 
How uh, how many subscribers does he have? I have no idea. Dude. Probably too I'm many. I'm not going to engage with that. Okay, okay. So thank you for that explanation. If you guys would like to find his videos, no, no. I'm sure that they oh, I thought you, I thought you were about. <laughs> I thought you were about to plug his videos. Oh, God, no. I'm saying if you care to, you could undoubtedly find those videos. Yeah. I wonder if we'll call, what do we call him? Like Apple Skinhead? (laughs) Something? (laughs) I don't know. Potato skin? Potato skins. Oh, God. Let's stop coming up with ideas for him. (laughs) All right. All right. We're going to, we're going to keep going. So, yeah, Charlie goes on. The middle of it's kind of boring. It's just he's he's kind of just hammering the points home. Big tech is scary and all that stuff. Fun thing is that in the middle of his speech, Charlie claims that uh, as an example of harm that Google has done to the youth of America, uh, Google has oh, addicted. Please tell me. Please tell me the harm. Google has addicted the youth of America to their smartphones. That uh, is Google's. And, well, first of all, that's a bad thing, according to Charlie. Now, Charlie Kirk has tweeted about 50,000 times since 2011 from his own personal account. <laughs> and to say that, you know, he is, re- you know, his whole business platform is engaging with young people. Young people communicate and, and absorb the world through the medium that is their smartphone. Right. And, and we can debate whether or not that's good or bad all day long. Right. But the point is. As with all things in life, I believe moderation is the key. Exactly. Now, Turning Point USA, it alone, I think, has generated like 28 million bucks in revenue in recent years. What? Okay, as a nonprofit. All right. Oh, God. That's like calling the the NFL like a nonprofit. It's just so dumb. I mean, for all legal purposes, they are. For Uh, all real purposes, they're not. It's true. Because they still get tax breaks whenever they try and build a new fucking stadium. Fuck off. Fuck off to hell. No. (laughs) So... Charlie is is trying to say he's trying to make it sound like that's a bad thing when in fact his business model pretty much depends on that at least did and to an extent still does really any tech company involved in communications does now he's getting that Prager money getting that Prager money and so so Charlie goes on you know he he's he's more of his complaining about you know um, the distinction that he makes between Google and other private companies and stuff like that and again as we all know the first amendment doesn't uh really apply to a private company as long as that company can say write uh or behave in a way that is in within the confines of first uh first amendment protection and really any other law um then they're all good legally but because it's a free market theoretically uh they also have to suffer the wrath of the free market in the form of a possible boycott right so, you know, this kind of makes me think of what a friend, one of what our friends said about content creators sort of being their own product, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it, to me, it's just like essentially what Charlie is complaining about is that between one pri- between one content creator or whatever you want to call them, who is in themselves a, uh, a product, uh, they're effectively no longer financially viable you know, for another company, in this case, you know, whatever it is, uh, Google, YouTube, uh, Twitter, something like that. It's just, it's going to be too much of a hit to them financially. It has nothing to do with politics or morals. Because, again, until January 6th, everyone was okay with all this, like, all these lies and hate speeches. All, all Twitter would do would just give a little disclaimer, you know? Yeah. And, and, I mean, as far as Trump fans and believers of the myth of, you know, election fraud. It, it was a, it, like, it was one part of the conspiracy. Like, you know, the little like, oh, this, you know. And they always said that this fact was disputed. Right. Not that it was false. Can we point that out? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So, you know. But they're restricting free. They are. Well, I mean, so Charlie describes, he goes on regarding free speech. Uh, he describes uh, the locking of the New York Post's Twitter page in response to uh, the Hunter Biden stolen laptop story tweets uh, as the most dangerous act of political interference in American history, or one of. Again, not mentioning, you know, the, the literal deadly insurrection that interfered with our election. Also, wasn't that never proven to be his laptop? I don't know exactly what's going on with that. Um, you want to know why? Hmm. Because it probably was proven not to be his laptop. Uh, again, you think we wouldn't be hearing about that still if it was proven to be his laptop? So I don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, I, I agree with you in in that reasoning. Um, It'd be the next Benghazi. We, 
Well, we but we have to admit that we don't know for sure that that's true. It sounds reasonable to me that if they did have smoking gun proof, yes, it would absolutely be all over the place. Unless they had instruction, because to be fair, you know, Hunter Biden is the subject of a federal investigation. The laptop is not necessarily a part of that federal investigation. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, the New York Post was effectively the only outlet that ran with it. And I think when CBS tried to get a look at like the uh, the emails and stuff like that, they were blocked. Uh, was it CBS? I'll, I'll double check that. Yes, to my knowledge, the laptop was never authenticated. And based on my assumption... Called an educated guest. Yeah, um, because it was not authenticated, um, it was probably just a lie. Because wasn't it from... It was from Steve Bannon? No, I. you know what? It, it's a, such a convoluted story. It has something to do with a, a computer repair guy on the other side of the country that that turned it into the FBI and all kinds of nonsense. And I think Rudy Giuliani was, was involved. Oh, for some reason I thought it was... Eh, yeah. No, so, why am I thinking about Steve Bannon then? Because mm-hmm. I think it was Rudy. So Twitter locks... Um, uh, locks the New York Post's Twitter page because of this stuff, right? And Charlie makes it sound like this is because of the story itself and they're trying to, like, shut up the truth and all that stuff. Uh, when, in fact, what really happened here was Twitter cited uh, hacked material. The idea that, you know, because of their terms of service say you can't retweet hacked material. Oh. And they, were, they basically took the position early on, Twitter did, that whatever these emails are, if they are what they're purported to be, they're probably hacked material and they won't allow that. So they locked the New York Post site. Now, uh, Twitter page. Now, um, Twitter eventually reframed, rewrote how their their terms of services work and unlocked the New York Post's Twitter page, effectively backing down, okay? Okay. And the story proliferated regardless. So I was about to say, we definitely all heard about it. Correct. But according to Charlie, that is sort of indicative of a big problem for the future of conservatives. Uh, and he sort of lays out how to solve this problem by equating, well, first for starters, he equates uh, the supposed <laughs> censorship by Google with uh, women's health issues. Uh, and so what's the solution here for us as conservatives? What does this mean? Well, number one, we must identify the problem. And I'm going to just say something that needs to be said. Any Republican that takes money from NetPack or from Google should leave the Republican Party. Real uh, real quick, NetPack is Google's political action committee. It was formed in like 2006. I checked them out. I'll link the website. They give money. They give more money to Republicans than they give to Democrats, by the way. But they they just... Well, Democrats have been talking about breaking them up for a while. Right. They get... So Google Pack gives money to, to both sides of the aisle. Right. So that's nothing new. They've been doing it for years. They are mercenaries. They are giving money to everybody so that they will not be broken up or brought to heel in any regulatory way. So just real quick. Any Republican that is funded by Google has no place in the Republican Party. We as conservatives must treat donations that you get from Silicon Valley like we treat donations from Planned Parenthood. We would never put up if a Republican came on stage here and said, oh, I'm financed from Planned Parenthood. Then why do we tolerate big tech companies financing our lawmakers? So there's a lot of reasons to dislike that comment, all of those comments. Fuck you, Charlie. (laughs) My biggest problem with it is that it reduces Planned Parenthood to a position that is axiomatically bad. It's obviously bad. Like, he doesn't even have to talk about it. Like, it's a given to condemn them, which is effectively gaslighting. It's reductive propaganda. They do so much right. healthcare yes. for communities. Abortions are, number one, not funded by the government. Those are specifically funded through private donations. And... They only account for like what, like 2%, 5% of their business? Yep. It is incredibly small. They get, they do so much for so many communities. I can't. Hmm. Yeah. And so that was un. Where'd that come from? Right. He had to, he had to get that one in there. That little sting, you know, to remind everyone. Also, what the fuck are they funding? They need money. 
Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Because well, the government keeps not funding them. Well, yeah, I mean, and the obviously the idea being is that he's saying that Planned Parenthood is inherently bad. I know. And, and like it's an afterthought. That's my biggest problem with that. Not that he equates Google to Planned Parenthood, which is a false comparison on so many levels, but he's he's just throwing them away like they're nothing, you know. As anyways, anyway, he's a it's dick. It's true that Planned Parenthood was um, founded by some problematic people. True. I'm not gonna. I'm so, not gonna defend that. So was the United States. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but they have done so much good in communities in a lot of underserved communities. I mean, it is healthcare. Planned Parenthood is healthcare for many like low income communities. And just the fact that you would so casually throw them into your fucking whatever. Yeah. Your weird ass, like, um, rationalization of, of government interference in private enterprise. It, also, if I'm being honest, if I was a politician, I would not accept a donation from Planned Parenthood, but only because I would be like, you fucking keep that money. Yeah. You fucking keep that money and you go and like help communities of color. Well, well Anna, that's because you're pinko commie scum. I don't know if anyone told you that. I hate to be Socialist the one that, commie yeah, scum. There How you dare. Go. <laughs> Same thing. It's true. Well, in the eyes of conservatives... Everyone on the left is somehow a communist. Anything left of Rush, the the late Rush Limbaugh. So, oh my god, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, so don't worry, we're almost done here. We're last two clips. So Charlie uh, is almost done. Thank God. He uh, hammers home the distinction that he's got to try to sneak past um, his audience, which is you know, like we said, that glaring contradiction in his long held belief in free market. Uh, that is free from government intervention. For all the lawmakers that are passing through here, and for people that want to win elected office, there are two things that conservative grassroots care about more than anything else. Number one, restoring election integrity in our country for fair and free elections. And number two, it is challenging big tech. It is giving us the ability to speak freely on social media. We should never take a default position just to defend corporations. I love free enterprise. That's why I want to challenge these corporations, because they don't. They are not believers in capitalism. They're not believers in free enterprise. They are super, capitalism, uh, super capitalists, as you pointed out. They're worth billions and billions of dollars, and they go basically unchecked by regulation in any real meaningful way. And it's just like, that that's total nonsense. Also, by the way, the whole grassroots thing, from the jump, Charlie has had big money backers uh, and from, you know, the Tea Party, and his publishing house, once again, is owned, in effect, by Rupert Murdoch, which means he is beholden to Rupert Murdoch. I was about to say, if anything is going to be astroturfed, it's right wing, you know, movements, exactly. quote unquote. Yeah. Well, wasn't the wasn't the Tea Party movement somewhat astroturfed? You might know more about that than I do. Um, it's been honestly, it's been such a long time since I've researched the Tea Party movement. We're talking about like a two decades. Or okay, well, about it wasn't decade, that long ago. Yeah. It's at least a decade. B basically, when did Obama get elected the first time? Yeah, yeah, that was it's, pretty much. It's it. been a long time. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you're right. I mean, and Charlie, you know, he he tries to rep himself like he's quote grassroots when in fact he is. You know, he's almost like a living definition of astroturf. Again, this reminds me of like PragerU claim, like thinking of themselves as a university. Yeah, even though they now have to. Uh, they, they have to explicitly say we are not a university or we're not a college or something like that. On they the are. Yeah. So, yeah. So Charlie is pretty much framing himself as both the victim and the champion, the classic strongman, you know, position. He is under attack. He's part of a class that is underserved and under attack by, quote, big tech. But he's also the guy with the plan that will defeat them. He will shoulder all of all of the the slings and arrows and all that shit oh, shut up charlie so t i mean look to me i think at best charlie believes he's being outplayed uh by bigger players much bigger players and at worst he doesn't believe any of this and it's a grift and he just wants to scare the shit out of people May and I sell ask books when 
he spoke at CPAC? Uh, I believe first night. I think Friday night. At what time? I, I don't know exactly what time. He was a little, I think he was a little later in the day, but I don't know precisely when. Okay. Because I, I was, I'm curious if the organizers were burying him a little. Because he doesn't have the juice that he used to have. Um, you know, maybe. I'll put it to you. Put it to you this way: if that's any indication of what CPAC uh, thinks in terms of like v- political viability, uh, Charlie got like nine minutes. Madison Cawthorn got eight minutes. Um, Josh Hawley got fifteen, and Christy Nome of South Dakota got twenty-six. What? Yeah. So she is she is maybe kind of a front runner, uh, depending on who you ask. Uh, for a 2024 bid. At least she thinks she is. She actually did very poorly in the CPAC straw poll. Ron DeSantis actually won the non... If you don't include Trump in the straw poll, like he got like 60... Trump got like 68%. Yeah. But if you take him out, I think DeSantis topped like over 40%. Yeah, that yeah, poor so, woman. She's reminding me of Michelle Bachman. Yeah, well... Yeah. In, in remember the, when Bachman said that she was ordained by God? I remember reading about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. How'd that work out for you, Michelle? Oh, God. So, yeah. Last clip, and I'm just going to let this one run. This is this is Charlie's big finisher, and to me, this is him tipping his hand uh, into what he's really about. We, as conservatives, have more power than I think we realize. We have purchasing power, we have consumer power, and we must, in a variety of different ways, make sure our lawmakers do not take money from these corporations. Push back against their pattern of actions and be unafraid to entertain ideas, to liberate the marketplace, empower real entrepreneurs. That part. Because the digital age is upon us. And if we do not have free speech or first freedoms, then we're all gonna live in a country that is unrecognizable. And I believe if we do that and restore integrity in our elections, we're not just gonna win a little, we're gonna win big and we're gonna win for the next couple decades. Our best days are ahead. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. So, real quick, reminder, uh, Democrats won seven of the last eight presidential elections if you count popular vote and not electoral college. I was about to say, um, unfortunately, um, Republicans will continue to win elections, but that is because the election is rigged in their favor. And I'm talking about, this is from a, a actual, how we, our government is designed is designed to benefit that party. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there are literally dozens of states introducing uh, an inordinate number of uh, voter legislation bills. And whatever they say their intent behind these bills, it's clear that the effect of the proposed uh, voter laws uh, will impact the ability to vote among demographics that, you know, are historically voting for uh, Democrats. You know, it's plain to see, you know, you know, voter voter ID laws, uh, getting rid of like, you know, um, automatic uh, absentee ballots, that type of thing, restricting when people can vote in Georgia. They're they're doing an early voting restriction that is like uh, it's Monday through Friday. So they're getting rid of Sunday voting, which is interesting because in Georgia, there's a very popular, you know, um, souls to the polls event yeah uh, and from what i'm given to understand is uh you know predominantly black churches after they go to church they take everyone on over to sunday voting so no more sunday voting uh, but you know i'm sure that was just a coincidence after all yeah um actually there was something that was i think published today by vox um that i found fascinating it's called the republican revolt against democracy explained in 13 charts we're going to link it below it is oh yes yes it is a fantastically interesting read and it talks about um all of the sort of um all of this all of the attacks on voting rights um how there have been you know how they've been essentially radicalized over the last few decades there's even one chart that shows how um fox news impacted how republicans vote um, it's, it, I would highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah, it's, we'll check it it's out. It's worth a read. For sure. And I, I think that sort of relates to kind of like what Charlie is getting at here. Because, you know, he, you notice he used phrases like liberate the market, uh, you know, and in, like empower entrepreneurs and stuff like that. I think what he's 
possibly, and I don't want to get into conspiracy theories, I have a strong feeling that Charlie is going to be hooked to or, or starting himself some type of social media company. I think he is teeing himself up as a fighter for protection of free speech and fighting against these big tech companies, and he's going to do it in the form of something, you know, in the vein of parlor. Yeah. You know, because in the end, this dude is all about making that money. He could he could do any number of things to affect policy, you know, but he chose to do this. He was chosen to do this and he continues to do this. And it's just his rhetoric to me. And the fact that he didn't mention Trump once that tells me it's like, OK, he's he's gotten his use out of Trump. You know, um, he doesn't think that Trump's got the juice, at least not in the way that he needs. He needs to become he's I think he's pivoting. And he's going to try to create his own brand in an even bigger way, you know? I can see that. It's just that's, I get that feeling. I'm waiting any day for him to announce like, oh, you know, check me out on Turning Point Gab Parlor something something. I don't know. I I hope he isn't, but I think that's what he's going to do. We need to come up with with a shorthand name for for all the right-wing media things. Shitheads? I, w- I was hoping it would be more clever than that. But. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> They're not clever. Why do I have to be clever? <laughs> You know? Okay. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that is Charlie Kirk, uh, post Trump presidency. I think he is making his pivot. I think he's making his big play to seriously cash in and he's doing it under the guise of being a free speech warrior. Hardly original. It's definitely not original. No, not at all. But I mean, I think it'll probably work. I do think part of the reason why CPAC didn't make a biggest splash as people were hoping was because these are all things we've heard before. Yeah. And the fact that we're jaded by things that would have horrified us eight years ago. Overton window, baby. Right. Or whatever you want to call it. We need to come up with a new concept for whatever the hell is going on here. You know, it's just. We're all just fucking tired. We are. We are. Anyways. Like to quote. Sondheim from Into the Woods. Can't we just pursue our lives with our children and our wives? But instead, we have to deal with this bullshit. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you for the wisdom from Sondheim. I am thoroughly depressed. Uh, Charlie is somehow worse without Trump in power, you know, in official power than he was before. And I worry for all of us because I think Charlie's a great sort of like distillation and sort of a lightning rod for all these shitty ideas. I think what's interesting about him is he's given no indication of ever running for public office. He's making too much money. And and that's interesting, you know, because he wants power, but a specific type of power. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think money is his is his is his lingua franca so to speak you know it's what he's all about money is what this guy's all about i think he's smart enough to know that he you know what he is he's like a young like evil doppelganger of robert reich like he understands you no 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 charlie kirk and robert reich in the same sense i no think about it right robert reich could run for public office basically anywhere in the bay area Oh, okay. That's what you mean. He can do that, okay. but he doesn't need to do that because he's, I mean, in Robert be, Reich. He already did his like public yeah. sector time. I mean, he, he knows he's, he's done private sector and, um, you know, public sector. He, he's, he's you're seen right. it. He's seen it all. You're right. You're right. I won't besmirch the, the great name of Robert Reich. Yeah, again, how dare you? Okay. All right. I'm going to take this out before Anna kills me. All right. Well, that was our show. I'm not going to kill you. I know. We still have to, I I still have to order dinner for us. So. No, that's true. That's true. I I am starting to get hungry. Okay. So we're hungry and that was our show. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter uh, at Consequence Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Stop Talking Matt. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, please express that joy in the form of a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe to us uh, on whatever your preferred platform and maybe share a link to uh, the show with someone who wants to get in on the conversation Uh, and a little sort of indirect nod to the world of Zelda. Uh, It can be scary going it alone in the world of political rhetoric. So bring us along. Is that good? Did that work? No? No. You don't even play those games. All right, all right. Again, how dare you? Are you just trying to piss me off right right. now? If anybody, if, (laughs) if I come up missing, use this episode for evidence. All right. So until next time, um, keep your heads down and, um, there's a distinction. I, I got nothing. Here's our outro.